Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. that house next door. For those of you that weren't here last week, we are opening up a passion community closet and pantry in this house right here on the back of our parking lot. We will do a special dedication Sunday where we'll do an open house and let you walk through it. But uh, we've had people in there all week working and their shelves all the way around and uh, they're filling them up with clothes and shoes and but you can continue to bring furniture, things like that. So we're just thankful. You guys need to be proud of yourselves. We are getting ready to have a significant impact and footprint in our community on a regular basis. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. All right, well, buckle up. Everybody do this with me. Do, take your hands like this and go like this. Do that because it's going to get, it's going to be a rough ride. I know it's all like Mother's Day and all, but uh, uh, we, and we honor you, and, and, but we're right in the middle of a series. And this has been a painful series. How many of you would agree this is a painful series? Anybody but me? Okay, when I preach to the degree that it hurts me, uh, then I know it's a tough one, right? And so we've been uh, attacking principalities. We're in the fourth of five principalities that we have been uh, coming against. This one's the most difficult. It's apathy. Uh, I believe that apathy is the epidemic of our day. Uh, We are entirely swamped with the I don't cares. See, I already lost all my shouts. We sang, I will live to worship you, and then we go quiet. When it's, okay, it's going to get worse, so uh, you, you better help me early. So uh, We don't want to be bothered. We don't want to get involved. In fact, we talked about this last week. What we do is we begin to lay out and look for loopholes. We're loopy for loopholes. We want excuses. I want to make excuses as to why I can't get involved. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too broke. I'm too pretty. I, I, well, that, some of y'all, not everybody can use that one. But uh, I, I, I got too many kids at home. I, I, I just don't have anything. And we use all these excuses as reasons as to why we can't get involved or be bothered or interrupted with concern. So we walk through life literally avoiding involvement and and asking this question that we asked last week, which is the worst question in the world to ever ask, who is my neighbor? As is, as if if we can't identify our neighbor, then we won't. We know that if we don't have the ability, or we make an excuse so that we can't, then we won't be held accountable to take care of that neighbor because we don't know who they are. Okay, so apathy overcomes us. Apathy literally means without feeling, or the scary one for us in the Greek, it means without passion. And I have laid down a gauntlet to you as we begun to deal with attacking our apathy for people. And then next week we get really rough because we start talking about our apathy towards God. And I've said to you that if apathy is this concept of having no passion, then it is entirely unacceptable that those of us that call us passion would walk through life with no passion. Because that instantly makes us hypocrites. Okay. I know it's a dangerous word. Nobody likes that word. Uh, so, so we've got to live up to what we've called ourselves. So the challenge is then is that we've got to uproot apathy. Uh, we don't destroy apathy with prayer. 
We don't uproot apathy with declarations or proclamations. We uproot apathy by action. We unseat apathy in our life this way, with elbow grease. By getting involved, by living a lifestyle of action and, and, and compassion. That's how we get rid of apathy. Jesus made it very clear to his disciples. Uh, there's a passage of scripture I find very interesting. Uh, it seemed like to me, it just seems like to me that people were constantly confused about why Jesus came to earth. That's confusing to me or interesting to me because he made it very clear. It's not like he minced words. He made it very clear. In Mark chapter 2 verse 17, Jesus makes this purpose statement, if you will. This is his entire mission. He says, I don't come for those that are healthy. I come for those that are sick. He says it like this. The, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And here I am. I'm the doctor. Right? So it's very clear when he comes. He goes on and he says, I didn't come for those of you that were righteous. I came to rescue that, those of the, that are here that are sinners or unrighteous. So Jesus makes it glaringly obvious that I am here for those that are struggling, those that are sick, those that don't have a relationship with my father. That's who I came to earth to rescue, right? And yet, yet it seems like from that day forward, it is so apparent that not only did those that were listening to Jesus' purpose statement live, they dismissed it or at least they disregarded it. It is obvious to me that we continue to try to make Jesus' mission comply to our comfort zone. That's what we try to do. Jesus' disciples and the crowds to, to whom he spoke and the religious leaders of those days, they were often, I believe, committed to playing keep away with Jesus. I could take you all over the Gospels and show you example after example after example of how they tried to keep people from reaching Jesus. But I, as I was thinking through Scripture, I, I, I found one, it's just interesting to, to me, in one day of Jesus' life, in one, we, we know it as chapters, but in just one little short time frame of Jesus' life, all wrapped up in one chapter, we see apathy on full display. It's Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 reveals the depth of apathy that is alive in the hearts of the people that were around Jesus. Let, let, let me see. I'm just going to hit some highlights. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, going down through verse 16. The people brought children to Jesus, hoping that he might touch them. And the disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and let them know, know about it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever be, get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands a blessing on them. That's Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. But listen to what happens right after that. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 41. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came up to him. Teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. What is it? I'll see what I can do. I, do to arrange it and they say arrange it they said so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory one of us at your right the other at your left and when the other ten heard of this conversation they lost their tempers with James and John and Jesus got them together to settle things down you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around he said and when people get a little power how quickly it goes to their head it goes it's not going to be that way with you Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. 
and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. That is immediately following his dialogue about the children. They come to him and say, make us great. Okay. Immediately following that conversation, look what's happened. It's, it's ridiculous. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 48. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, uh, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, "Jesus, son of David, have mercy on him, or, or, mercy on me!" And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, "Son of David, have mercy on me!" Interesting chapter. Interesting experience. This is apathy on full display and at its worst. Notice what takes place. Jesus' followers play keep away with Jesus. They try to keep Jesus away from children. They try to keep children away from Jesus. And then they try to keep a blind man blind. Okay. They have knowledge and experience that Jesus can heal blindness and yet they choose to silence and sequester a man whose only hope is Jesus. And then this unchecked and unbridled apathy produces its ultimate fruit. And here's the end game. Listen to me carefully. If we don't uproot apathy out of this body and out of our lives, this is the end game. Because we see it here. The, the ultimate fruit of apathy is arrogance and selfishness. Okay, I knew on a Mother's Day I wasn't going to get much. So, 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 so holding people at arm's length and ignoring Jesus' purpose and the people's needs, the disciples try to get special favors and special treatment, all because they were apathetic and had no concern for those around them. I would submit to you that it's the same pattern that we continue to perpetuate if we're not careful. Are you with me this morning? Okay. All right, because I got two lessons that are going to be painful. The first thing I recognize out of these accounts and that I see happening with us is that if we're not careful, we come to this place in our walk that once we've been touched by Jesus, we try to make him untouchable. How many of you this morning would testify that encountering Jesus was transformational in your life and one of the best things, if not, and it should be the very best thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life? If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right, the rest of you, I don't know where you've been. Jesus is the very best thing that's ever happened in my life. He has changed my life substantially. My life is not what it was before. He changed my life. Uh, yet what we tend to do if we're not careful is once we've been touched by Jesus, we try to hoard his healing. We, we fence him in in fear that if others get to him, our needs won't be met. Y'all missed that. 
we fence him in in fear that if, if others are able to get to him, then our needs won't be met and that if we can get his undivided attention, stay with me right here, we, I think we literally think that if we can get Jesus' undivided attention, our blessings will be more blessed. Because if you've encountered Jesus, newsflash, you've been blessed. And for some reason, we've got this mentality, if I can just isolate Jesus on a Sunday morning in some worship service somewhere, my blessings, I don't want you to get in touch with Jesus. I don't want my neighbor to get in touch with Jesus. I don't want anybody else to get in touch with Jesus because if I can get in touch with Jesus, then my blessings will be more blessed. Our prayers become about us. Our requests are reserved for those within our circle. Our lack of true understanding, and I I need you to stick with me here, our lack of true understanding of His omnipotence and of, of His omniscience and His omnipresence causes our desire for more to also mandate that He gives less to those around us so that we can be full. Did you catch what I just said? We say that Jesus and that our Father... Our Heavenly Father is omnipotent, has all power. That He's omniscient, has all knowledge. That He's omnipresent, which means that while I'm getting my needs met, He can also be meeting the need across the room. Yet we don't really understand the implications of what we believe to the degree that we need to because what we do, since we lack that understanding, is I really don't think that if He's meeting your need, He can meet my need too. I can't get no help in here. All right, all right. Knowing from experience that he can change lives, heal hearts, rescue relationships, and it seems to me even with that knowledge and with that experience, for some reason we're unwilling to share him with anybody else. And we've been touched. But we make him untouchable. Y'all hurt me this morning. I must be hurting you. The second aspect of that is this. We know this is true. Jesus is the door, right? But how many of you know that we're the doorkeepers? Jesus is the door. No man comes to the Father but by the Son. He is the door. He is the way that people access the Father. But like it or not, we are the doorkeeper. Here's what I know is that we, like the followers of Jesus' day, we decide who gets to Jesus and who doesn't get to Jesus. And if we're honest, if we were really honest, we often obstruct people from approaching him. We play keep away with Jesus. We become an obstacle to get to Jesus rather than an avenue by which people find Jesus. Okay, it's going to get tight. Uh, Man, we keep people away from Jesus. And we don't just do this by action because we could resolve action, although I'll talk about some actions. It goes much deeper than actions. The reason that we keep people away from Jesus only manifests itself in actions. It's really about attitude. If you really want to do surgery on us and get this apathy out of us, you got to recognize that We play keep away with Jesus because of attitudes. Okay. So here's two ways that happens. Man, got your seatbelt buckled? All right. We we do this by how we approach church. 
our approach to church hinders other people's approach to Jesus. We come to church for what we can get. We treat church like we treat Walmart. It's consumer mentality. What have you done for me lately? I'm going to come to church for what I can get. I don't care what you don't get. This is about what I get. We have access, but we want to make it hard for other people to get to Jesus. So what we do, whether we mean to or not, whether we really stop and think about it, it's all wrapped up in this apathetic attitude we have. We begin to place demands on people like to worship with us. you got to look just like us. you got to dress like us. you got to behave like us when you get here. Or we won't allow you access to him. We take, oh, this, I don't know. We will walk a mile and a half to get in the state fair. Or the Thunder game. And yet when we roll up at church, we take the choice parking lots, never stopping to think that there may be somebody that's never been here before that might be easier that they didn't have to park out in the back 40. Okay, I knew, I knew. We approach church and services as if we're the only ones here. So let me ask you some questions. What if my actions, which are birthed out of my attitude, during church causes someone to miss him? Okay. Like, Lord, help me, protect me. I'm going to need bodyguards, Jesus. So I'm going to close my eyes so I'm not looking at anybody. All right? What if my untimely exit from service just cause? Just cause. I can sit through a four-hour movie. But the preacher went 20 minutes, and so I got to get up like nine times. And my untimely exit, for my own convenience, catch this now, because I've seen this happen, right at the critical moment when somebody that walked in here that's not normally here that doesn't know Jesus, all of a sudden goes, and it's an escape that the enemy, okay, I, I knew, I knew. What about my lack of warm greeting because I'm tired? And that turns them away from thinking that, man, I showed up at Passion on a Sunday morning. I've been driving by seeing the sign. I thought, it says out there, come and be a part of our family. I walk in, and I'm, I'm lonely, and I've got nobody to lean on, and nobody understands my situation. I walk in, and nobody speaks to me because they're tired. They stayed up too late Saturday night, and so they don't want to talk to me. And so they exit thinking nobody really cares. My choice to walk past the sick to get to the to those that are well because I'm comfortable with those that are well. And I'm not comfortable with their issue. That leaves them at arm's distance from Jesus and it leaves them isolated and it leaves them hopeless. What about if my apathetic response to truth because I've already heard it? 
I mean, I've been in this a while now. I've already heard that. You're going to have to preach a better message than that. I've heard that. Tell me something I don't know. We fold our arms and our, our, our apathetic response to truth causes people that were in desperate need to hear the truth watch us and go, well, if it doesn't move them, why should it move me? This must not really be that important. Okay. Our lethargy to, towards God's presence. We walk into the very presence of God and yawn our way through service. And that convinces people that this isn't worth their serious consideration. Our lack of passion in praise. Am I right? Can I get an amen from the worship team at least? It's tough standing up there sometimes. They told me, we're, we're after them about opening their eyes. They don't want to. Because they watch us with no response. And our lack of passionate response to the presence of God convinces those that walked in here off the street that this is nothing more than just, an, just a, it's just preliminary not really important. It's just a performance. It's not that big a deal. It was just a concert. And they miss the presence of God and they don't latch on to the lifeline that he is. Our lack of passion, our apathy is revealed in our choice to consistently come to church to get power to live. And yet we fail to come to church and get any power to love. That was stinking good. We want, come on, pastor, teach me how to live. How am I supposed to survive life? Week after week, teach me how to use my money. Teach me how to, to fix my marriage. Teach me how to discipline my kids. Teach me how to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Teach me, teach me, teach me. And we get all this power to live, and we never utilize it or gain any power to love. And so people walk by our lives every day, and we don't know what to do with them. If we understood that this is, I hope you understand, that what we do as a church is life or death. Souls hang in the balance. Then our attitude and our focus and our involvement and our pursuit will change. It has to. We will passionately pursue him and we will swing wide the door to make room for those that are in need of him. That's what we got to do. But that's, that's just about church. What about life? Because... I am convinced that apathy has not only invaded church, it's invaded our life. Because, see, here's the truth. We are the, supposed to be the carriers of his power, and yet by our attitudes and our actions, people are kept from approaching Jesus. The way we behave when our expectations are unmet or unsatisfied, whether they're realistic or not, can become a barrier and an obstacle for people to reach Jesus. Because when we go through the drive through and they jack our order up, and they say that we say something rude or short, and then we think, well, they won't even know that we go to passion. But then it doesn't really matter where we go. They we pull out and they look, and there's a fish on our bumper, and they go, I don't want nothing they've got. They come to my restaurant. 
They eat our food and they won't tip. And they're demanding. Okay. The way we behave, the, the, our lack of diligence at work wards off inquiry about the one we represent because the Bible says that we should do everything that we do as unto the Lord. That means I'm the hardest worker. That means I'm not on my phone playing games while I'm clocked in. That means I show up early and I leave late. That means anything they ask me to do, I don't say it's not in my job description. I'm sorry. You mean you want me to do that? Absolutely, I volunteer to do that because I represent Jesus. Our anger alienates. Our bitterness becomes a blockade. Away from church, we allow our attitude to get away from us, and this is what it does. It keeps people away from Jesus. We, we say we would never tell anybody, you can't get to Jesus, but our attitudes, which leads to our actions, preach a whole different sermon. In fact, one guy said it like this. He said, live your life so that you don't even have to open up your mouth to say anything about Jesus. Your actions preach more to me than your words. Okay, we are told, see if this is scriptural or not. We are told that the harvest is plentiful, right? Do you know what that means? It means, it literally means, if the harvest is plentiful, Jesus said the the harvest is plentiful. If, if, If the harvest is plentiful, that means there are people that desperately want to get to Jesus, right? Am I right? They want Jesus. They may not know what they want. They just know they want something, and they've tried everything else, And there's a hole in their heart and in their life, and they're looking for something. They are ripe for harvest, correct? You know the second part of that scripture too, right? Come on. The workers are few, the laborers are few. So let me ask you this question then. Are they few because of lack of numbers? Maybe we're just outnumbered. There's too many of them want Jesus, and there's just not enough of us. No, 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 no. I literally think that what is being said here is the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Not by numbers, but by attitude. Are, there, are we few because of lack of numbers, or are we few because of lack of care? I got mine. My wife is saved. My boys are saved. Now let me close up the ark and survive this storm until Jesus comes back or until we die. And I really don't care that all of my neighbors are going to hell in a handbasket. And killing their babies while they're doing it doesn't bother me a bit. Starving to death doesn't bother me a bit. Don't have parents doesn't bother me a bit. Living so far below the poverty level right across the street doesn't bother me a bit. I don't think it's lack of numbers. I think it's lack of care. Could it be that laborers are available but apathetic? I'm going to ask a question, and I'll try to get out of your way because some of you all don't like me much right now, and and I'm sorry I ruined your Mother's Day, but uh, this is a painful question that we've got to address. How many people do we come into contact with that want to get to Jesus that can't because of us? 
in these passages of Scripture that I read to you, when Jesus dealt with the children and when Jesus dealt with the blind man, you do understand that he had to overrule and go around his own followers to rescue. Wow. Jesus, please, don't ever let it be that one of us gets in the way of somebody that's trying to get to Jesus. There's, a, there's an Old Testament account that I'll, I'll, I want to make mention, then we're going to pray. Uh, in the Old Testament, we, Pastor Woody and I have referenced this account, I don't know how many times. It's the account of the, the widow um, that had an encounter with Elijah, and Elijah shows up on the scene and says to her, would you please go fix a little cake and give me something to eat? You remember it's during a drought. Do you remember her response? She says, no, I only have enough oil and enough uh, meal to fix me and my son a meal. We're going to go, I'm going to go home and make this meal. We're going to eat it. And then we're going to die. You remember? Do you understand the implications of that story? The implications of that story is this. This woman had the ability and the resources at hand to sustain the saving word for her entire nation. And she was going to use it up on herself. I just want to end this series by submitting to you that that is the picture of the American church, if there ever was one. Got some amens. Okay, let me see if I can lose them. That is the picture of the Oklahoma church. And then I'll try to be nice and say, if we're not careful, that will become the picture of Passion Church. Where we have access to unbelievable praise and worship. We have access to food if we're hungry. Because that pantry is not just for our community. You're in our community. It's for you too. We have access to people who rally around us when we're in need. We have people we can call when we're hurting. We have access to the power of the Most High God. And if we're not careful, we will hoard it up and hide it away and ignore the needs around us, thinking that we're sustaining us. And I demand, I don't do this very often, all right? Do I, make very, I hope I don't make very many demands from y'all. I'm demanding this. I'm demanding that that not be true of this church, of this body, of this family. If we're going to call ourselves passion and we're going to put a banner out that says, come and join our family, then we have to be people that approach church differently. We have to be people that approach the body differently. We have to be people that live our lives differently. We have to be people that will respond and, and quit playing keep away with Jesus if they don't look like us, if they don't act like us, if they don't love who we think they ought to love.
because we hate the sin and not the sinner, we make room for Jesus to get to them. We become the doorkeeper and we swing it wide and say, come in here. Sinners are supposed to sin, but we want you in here so that we can tell you about the one that can heal your sickness, heal your disease, heal your death, heal your brokenness, heal your bitterness, and heal your sin. And I'll make room for that. And it may mean I don't get my song sung. And it may mean I got to talk to people when I'm not comfortable talking to them. And it may mean I got to go out of my way. And it may mean I don't get to pray for my need. But I'll pray for theirs. I want to say it like this. We cannot stand in the way. We must walk in the way and share the way. We are the doorkeeper. Have you been touched by Jesus? Two of you. Have you been touched by Jesus? Don't you want everybody else to experience what you've experienced? Then you got to show them. We got to worship different. We got to live different. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to tell you about an opportunity we have this week to do what I'm talking about. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would rattle and shake us out of our apathy. God, I recognize this morning, I, I have been touched by Jesus. I willingly admit that. My life is different. My course is different. I also readily admit that there are moments in my own life where I found myself becoming a blockade. And I repent of that. And Father, I do admit that there are Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that I approach church for what I can get out of it with no thought or concern about what anybody else can receive. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to help me to learn how to make room for the plentiful harvest that is available. God, in life, when I'm sitting at a ballpark and the umpire doesn't call it the way I want him to. When a co-worker doesn't carry their weight and I have to chip in. When a boss acts like an idiot. When a neighbor does me wrong. When the worker at McDonald's messes up my order. I'm asking you to help me represent you in such a way that I swing wide the door. God, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking that in some, some way that you make this possible. When they encounter me, I pray that they would encounter you. And God, when we're presented with, as a body, an opportunity to love people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't behave like us, I pray that we would respond. And in doing so, the door 
people would come open. God, I pray that as a body, we would begin to do church differently and we would arrive at this place together on the designated times that we get to worship together. I pray that we would show up, not for what we can get, because we know that when we come into your presence, you meet our needs. So that's a foregone conclusion. God, I pray that we would begin to do church differently. We would begin to think about how can I help others get to him by welcoming by being welcoming to them, by talking to them, by sitting still when I don't want to, by, by singing my guts out when I don't like the song, by responding to truth, by acting like this is important. God, I pray you'd help me and help those that you've given us to be different. We are called to be different. This is supposed to be a different kind of church. That's what you set us apart for. We believe that's part of our mandate. Make us people of passion for people. I pray. Uproot every thread of apathy and lack of concern for people. Break our hearts what breaks yours. I ask you to do this for your sake and for their sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. This Saturday, we are meeting here at the church. Pastor, what, 845? We are meeting here at the church at 845. Uh, we're asking you to um, adjust your schedule if necessary from 8.45 to 2 o'clock, we'll be done by 2 o'clock uh, we are doing an adopt a block uh, Jesus House is an organization that helps people in desperate and dire need and they have contacted us, we've contacted them and there's a community uh, it's very Hispanic the community is, which is right down our alley and uh, Pastor Iglesias is going to help us. And we're going to spend Saturday morning uh, serving that community, cleaning up their neighborhood. You need to wear old clothes, bring some gloves. We're going to have a blast as we show people that Jesus' love is tangible because talk is cheap. And action is what breaks apathy. Thank you for being so attentive this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.